Hey, thank you for checking out our sermons online at Coastal Community Church. We're so glad that uh, you're using these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth. But one of the things we're really passionate about at Coastal is that you have a local church. And so while we encourage you to, to make use of these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to find a Bible-believing uh, church in your community. If you live in our community, we'd love for you to visit with us. So uh, we uh, are in Yorktown, Virginia. We meet on 101 Village Avenue, and we would love for you to come and check us out. We have three service times, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 and uh, on Sunday morning. And so if you live in the Virginia area and the Yorktown area on the peninsula, we would love for you to come and check us out. We are uh, finishing our three-week series on heritage. And I hope that you've kind of gotten the theme of what we've been going through over the last several weeks. We've, uh, we've really been trying to hit home that we need to be intentional about stewarding the gospel well in our homes. Uh, and Lord willing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, God will provide for us spiritual children. Right? And Pastor Andrew, last week, he did a good job at, at making sure that we understand that um, producing spiritual children isn't exclusive to parents. Right? We, we uh, as, as single people, as uh, empty nesters, if... if um, you've lost your spouse, or if uh, you're not able to have children, uh, God holds you accountable to producing spiritual children, to stewarding the gospel well. And Lord willing, those of us who have physical children, uh, God will grant them eternal life. And, uh, and they won't only be our children, but they'll also be our brothers and our sisters. Andrew also, he reminded us last week about the good shepherd, right? We have to lean into the good shepherd in order to be a good um, shepherd in our own home faithfully. And I think it, needs, it frees us up to uh, emulate the, the, the God who not only saves us, but the God who gives us the example for how we're to um, be faithful in proclaiming the glories of the gospel to our kids. And this morning, my aim is to... to uh, introduce you, for some of you it'll, it'll be something that's very familiar, but to a lot of you it may be a foreign concept. Uh, I want to introduce to you the importance of family worship, which I'm going to define for you in just a minute, but I, I hope that I can show you through the, the scriptures that family worship was something that was normative for the Old Testament um, saints and for the New Testament saints, and it's something that we should model in our own homes. Like I said, there are some of you that are, are very familiar with family worship and you practice it on a daily basis and praise God for that. But there's some of you that have, have never heard of family worship before. And I, and I think the reason why is, is because we've been conditioned to, um, it, it, to think that if our children need to learn about God or if they need to hear the gospel, we need to bring them to the professional's in the church. And surely we're not equipped to handle matters like that that are so vitally important. Right? We've been conditioned to think that if your child needs to know about God and the gospel, we need to make sure that we take them to children's ministries, which is a very important ministry, but shouldn't be the primary place where your child is discipled in the Word of God. And so that's, that's what we default to sometimes is our parenting stops with we're going to feed them and we're going to clothe them, but certainly we're not equipped to shepherd their souls 
for the glory of God. That's somebody else's responsibility. And my hope is that we can see that if we don't instill a rhythm of family worship on a daily basis, there's no way that we can anticipate the Lord's Day, what we're doing here, this corporate gathering of God's church. We can't anticipate it and we can't engage with it in in the way that God's designed for us to and so now Sunday morning, it is a day that God has set aside. It's a, it's a special day for us, right? We, we rest from our normal duties so that we can devote ourselves more fully to the Lord. But there needs to be this, this rhythm daily of opening the Word of God, cherishing the Word of God, savoring the Word of God so that we can cherish Christ more and we can anticipate what we do here on Sundays. And that's what I want to spend time discussing this morning. And if you're, you're taking notes, I would invite you to just jot down the short definition of family worship. Family worship can be defined in this way. It's an intentional time where the members of your household come together to read, understand, sing, and pray the word of God. It's an intentional time that your household comes together to read, understand, sing, and pray the Word of God. Again, if you're single this morning, it applies to you. If you're married to an unbeliever, right, you need to practice these disciplines even if you're alone in practicing these disciplines. It needs to be a regular rhythm as, by God's grace, we move toward Sunday morning what we're doing here right now. So let me read a passage of Scripture that we're going to stay tethered to, and then we're going to work through two questions this morning. The two questions that I want to answer are this. Number one, is family worship biblical? Is family worship biblical? And number two, how do I do family worship? Where do I get started? How do I begin to incorporate this into my daily life with my family? Here's our text this morning, or one of them. Joshua 24 here. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And put away the gods that your father served beyond the, beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it's the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. This is the charge that Joshua gives the households of the Israelites. He tells them to put away idols and worship the only true God. And certainly if if it's true for the Israelites, we would be foolish to to not heed what he's saying here in this passage either. And so let me me pray and then we're going to jump in together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being reminded of your faithfulness through song, God, an important aspect of our Sunday morning worship, Lord. And God, I pray that um, 
God, just as we see here, this is Joshua's final address, and we see him recount the faithfulness of God to provide, to provide salvation from Israel's enemies. God, and I pray, God, that just as the Israelites in response to that dedicated them and their households to serve you, God, I pray that we would be convicted to serve you in our homes, God, Monday through Saturday. So humble us. Give us understanding. Give us eyes to see. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, is family worship biblical? The first thing that we need to see when we're taking notes is that the home existed before the local church. The home existed before the local church. And this isn't to discount the importance of the local church. So we don't need to walk away downplaying the, the corporate gathering of God's people on Sunday morning. Right? The local, local church is founded and it's sustained by God. But God created the home before he instituted his local church. We just finished preaching through the first 11 chapters of Genesis this spring. And, and we can see the establishment of the home before the local church was even brought into being here in, in chapter 1 of Genesis. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, and this is the dominion mandate here, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right? And certainly this be fruitful and multiply, it's not just referring to Adam and Eve's physical posterity, though it... It is referring to that, but it's also referring to their spiritual posterity as well. God expected Adam and Eve and their children to glorify God and to have dominion over the earth for his glory. And he calls them to do this through producing physical children. He calls them to do this through producing, producing spiritual children. That's their, that's their purpose. That's why they were created the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that we're created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we know how this story unfolds, don't we? We spent eight weeks talking about how the story unfolds in our Genesis series. right? Adam and Eve sin, and because of that, absolutely everything is fractured, and man doesn't even have the capacity now to enjoy God and to glorify God. We don't, we don't even have that capacity anymore. We don't even have the ability to be obedient in this dominion mandate that God gives right from the very beginning here in Genesis chapter 1. But thankfully the story doesn't end there, right? God makes a promise as early as Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15, we hear God preach the gospel. It says, I... This is God speaking. We'll put enmity between you, speaking to the devil, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring, which is just physical flesh, um, not a child of God, and her offspring, spiritual. And he, speaking of Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who God promises to rescue his people right here in, in Genesis 3.15 through 
the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's reaffirmed all throughout the Old Testament. And it's concluded in the New Testament. And God's elect in the nation of Israel is saved the same way God's elect in the New Testament and beyond is saved. Through the person and work of Christ alone. So God has made it through Jesus Christ. He's made it possible for us to glorify him. And he's made it possible for us to enjoy him forever. Paul says in Ephesians 1, he reiterates this. He says, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, speaking of his church, in all wisdom and insight. And after that, after Jesus accomplished salvation that was promised from the very beginning, and before he ascends to the right hand of God the Father, he gives this commission. It's, a, it's, a, it's another dominion mandate. So he's almost reiterating this dominion mandate that God gives to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 here. And you're probably familiar with it. Matthew 28. Right before Jesus ascends, he says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now let's press into this for a moment. If you're taking notes, you need to note that the Great Commission begins in the home. The Great Commission begins in the home. This is the way God's designed it. If I'm to to harmonize Genesis chapter 1 and this dominion mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve with this Matthew 28, right? The Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply. This is including not just physical posterity, but this is including that Adam and Eve should be uh, producing children that worship and serve their creator, If I'm to harmonize that with Matthew chapter 28 to make disciples, certainly we can come to the conclusion that that your primary ministry of making disciples is within the context of your own home. Your primary ministry of making disciples is within the context of your own home. You can't be faithful to reach every tribe and every tongue and every nation with the gospel if you're neglecting your shepherding responsibilities inside the home. You can't do that. I've spoken with a lot of men who have this this big pie-in-the-sky dream of, man, I'm going to pour my life out in this this closed country for the gospel, or I'm going to do great things for God, or I'm going to minister to all these people because that's what I feel like God's put in my heart. And their home life is an absolute wreck. It's an absolute disaster. And they have a blind spot to that. Or if you try to speak to that, their their hearts are hardened or calloused toward that. For some reason, these, these types of people, right, they, they don't see the everyday grind of faithfully preaching the gospel in your home as spiritual. They see it as mundane. I need to get beyond that. Listen to me carefully. God is not calling you to serve outside of your home if you're neglecting your gospel witness inside your home. God's not calling you to a gospel witness outside your home if you're neglecting the gospel witness inside your home. The passage I'm about to read, it refers primarily to an elder 
But I, leave, I, I think the principle, it, it can and should be applied to, to those who aren't elders too. And the reason I believe this is because <clears throat> elders, are, elders and pastors are, are called to a standard that the church should aim to emulate. And so if your pastors and elders are emulating this, your aim should be to model them and emulate this as well. Paul says this to Timothy. 1 Timothy 2 says, He, speaking of an, an elder here, must manage his own household well, With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If you can't care for your own household, how can you be a herald of the gospel outside of your home? So in answering the question, is family worship biblical? I believe the scriptures command and assume that worshipers of Christ will lead their families to be worshipers of Christ. Worshipers of Christ will lead their families to be worshipers of Christ. Listen again to that Joshua passage that we're, it's kind of our foundational passage this morning with, with that context in mind. Joshua 24, therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness and put away the gods, right? And, and we, we need to think of our own idols that we're prone to. Put that stuff away. Your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But Joshua makes this declaration, this bold declaration is for me and my house will serve the Lord. Right? And, and so Joshua is declaring that he's saying, this is what my home is going to do. Right? We're remembering that we were brought out of bondage by the God who's faithful to save, how can we not, as a household, worship the God who delivered us? And, look at, and so if we're looking and thinking of Joshua as this type of elder here, we see the response of the people that he's shepherding right here, don't we? Here's their response. They're looking at Joshua. They're hearing what he's saying. They're seeing him emulate what he's, pre- he's practicing, what he's preaching in his own home. And this is what the Israelites say. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it's the Lord who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went and among all the people from whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also, Joshua, we're going to follow you. We're also going to serve the Lord because he's our God. He's our God. Joshua is faithfully proclaiming the salvation that God's provided for the Israelites out of saving them from bondage, right? He's leading his family in worship because of this great deliverance, and he's setting an example for the rest of the Israelites to model this type of family worship. God delivered the Israelites from the bondage of slavery. God's delivered us from the bondage of sin in spiritual death. How can we not model Joshua by daily leading our families in in the praise and worship of the one who came to seek and save the lost? Why would we we neglect such an important and incredible opportunity? how, How could we say that we're too busy for daily family worship? How could we withhold absolute devotion to the God who didn't withhold his only son. So go back to the Great Commission. Think about it in the context of your own home. 
Have you ever thought about it in the context of your own home? Have you thought about it only in the context of missions? Have you only thought about it in context of outside of your home evangelism? With the home in view and the Great Commission in view, what should our families be picking up from us in family worship? What should they be picking up from us? The the spiritual leaders. And by spiritual leaders, I mean if you're a two-parent family and, and you're both Christians, this is the responsibility of the man in your home. If you're, married to an un, if you're married to an unbelieving man, it's your responsibility as the wife to do this in your home, right? So spiritual leaders in the home, what does it mean here? First, our family should know that Jesus has all authority. If we're taking the Great Commission seriously in our homes, our family should know that Jesus has all authority. He has all authority in heaven. He has all authority in our, on earth. There's a pastor that I've benefited a lot from, just his preaching and teaching and writing. And he, he said on Easter Sunday, if a man came to our earth today and he died and he was buried for three days and then he bodily and eternally rose from the dead, we would all agree that that guy owns the world. It's true, right? We need to be teaching our children that Jesus has all authority. This world is his. Not only is this world his, but th- they're his. Right? Jesus, he owns everything. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He's ruling and he's reigning. And that excites me to be able to proclaim that in my home. Secondly, our families, they need to hear the gospel daily. Families need to hear the gospel daily, right? I use this comment all the time, but man, if, if you read the epistles and, and the early church needed to be reminded of, of the gospel on a daily basis and they lived within the same generation of Jesus, how much more 2,000 plus years removed do we need to hear the gospel on a daily basis? Right? Your family should hear the gospel daily. Only the gospel of Jesus makes disciples. There's no other way. Jesus is the exclusive way to be reconciled to God. So part of fulfilling the Great Commission in our homes is to steward the gospel well within the context of our own home. And not to get ahead of myself, but what are some ways, what are some tangible ways that we can be good stewards of the gospel within the context of our house? I'll give you a few that you can jot down. I'll give you five. First, be worshipers ourselves. And I'll revisit this in just a moment, but you've got to be worshipers ourselves. Men, your family should know that you love Jesus. That shouldn't be guesswork for your family. They should know that you love Jesus. They should see that you take your devotional time, your time with the Lord and your communion with God. They should see that you take that seriously. They should know that you have a reverence for God. And, and just to speak to our context... They should see you have a reverence for God by how seriously you take corporate worship, what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. Right? Our culture, even here at Coastal, our culture, man, we arrive late to church. Like we're, we're, some of you arrived this morning and you missed the whole singing the word part of corporate worship. And I'm not saying that things don't happen sometimes, but man, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves and we're poking and prodding our own hearts, and we find that we're habitually late on Sunday mornings, I mean, maybe there's a lack of reverence for God. And I promise you that if there's a lack of reverence for God on Sunday morning, there's a lack of reverence for God Monday through Saturday. 
So are we, are we taking this time together seriously? Are, are you demonstrating to your kids that, man, when we sing the Word of God, I told this to the, the last service there, um, I'm a, a Reformation nerd, and the um, uh, uh, guy named John Calvin, who was uh, a big influence in, during the Reformation, and the, um, he had a ch- church in Geneva, and, and he had this high reverent view of the Scriptures, and, and it trickled out into these other local churches that were connected to Geneva. By the time that he died... Right? These people believed in this community that when the, God's word was opened and faithfully exposited, when it was faithfully preached, they believed it was as if God was speaking himself. That's how reverent they held the word of God. And they hungered for it so much, they ended up doing church service every single day before they went to work. Isn't that crazy? Man, how far have we We've fallen from this lack of reverence for God and his word and worshiping. And man, we're singing the word here on Sunday. We're preaching the word here on Sunday. We're praying the word here on Sunday. Don't, don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on that in your homes either. And I'll get to that again. So be worshipers ourselves, man. Stay till the service is finished. Be open about what the gospel actually is. That's number two, right? Be open about what the gospel actually is. Don't expect that you can just demonstrate the gospel. Use your words, right? Share your testimony. Tell how great your Savior is. Read books together that magnify Christ. Third, be open about your neediness for the gospel. Here's a very practical means of grace God provides for us, right? Ask your children and your spouse for forgiveness when you sin against them. What an opportunity for them to see, right? Son, daddy really messed up there. And I want you to know that he was wrong. And I want you to know that that's why daddy needs Jesus. And so will you, will you pray with dad right now that he'll remember who he is in Christ? Right? That extends to our spouse. Sweetie, like I... I blew it just then. And I, I put myself above you. And man, that's the antithesis of the gospel. For, forgive me for that. And would you pray with me right there? Man, be open about your neediness for the gospel of Jesus Christ that speaks volumes. Four, faithfully repent of sin and treasure Christ. Faithfully repent of sin and treasure Christ. Again, these aren't in your notes, but these are just shorthands you can jot down. We have to lead through our repentance. If you're not repenting and trusting Christ regularly, how can we communicate to our children that Jesus is so much better than the fleeting lusts of this world? Then five, forgive those in your home quickly because you're going to be sinned against, right? For some of you, that happened on the way in this morning, right? Right, we, we for, for, forgive quickly. When we withhold forgiveness from our children, when we withhold forgiveness from our spouse, we're communicating a works-based salvation. I'll forgive you, but you've got to do better. Forgive quickly. Look, look to our Savior. Moving on within the Great Commission piece here. We need to teach our family to obey God's word in response to the gospel. 
Teach our family to obey God's word in response to the gospel. God in the New Testament, he uses his Holy Spirit to inscribe God's law on on the hearts of his people so that we can grow to cherish them. The Ten Commandments are relevant for the believer. Prior to Christ, they show us our neediness for the gospel. Once the Holy Spirit's living in us, there should be this growing desire to to cherish obedience to the Word of God, and we should be teaching our children to do the same because when they cherish God's law, they're growing in their ability to cherish God's character. Next, teach your family to know that God's present with them wherever they go. Teach your children to know that God's present with them wherever they go. This is extremely comforting to me as a Christian. This is... A promise that God gives right before he ascends, right? These are his parting words here. There's no place that we can go that's away from the presence of God. Isn't that comforting? There's no place that we can go that's away from the presence of God. And and that's ministered to me personally in times where I'm tempted to sin, knowing that God's present with me in that moment. And that he'll give me the strength to cherish him more than this sin that I'm tempting to indulge myself in. It's ministered to me when I'm in the middle of immense grief. To know that God is very much present with me in the darkest times of my life. Psalm 139. If you're in one of those two places, let this wash over you this morning. Psalm 139 verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Imagine the confidence that that instills in a child who's on their first day of school. Right? Sweetie, God is present with you. I know that that sounds like a small thing, but what if we equipped our children to find comfort and to find rest in the truth that God is always present with them no matter where they are? I was reading this this book on um, it's it's a, a, on catechizing our children and and uh, and I think it was Tim Tim Keller who's a pastor in, in New York City that was mentioning this but he was telling the story of this kid whose parents were faithful in catechizing him and if you don't know what a catechism is it's a it's a question and answer format learning mechanism that's grounded in the scripture so that God's word can soak into the heart and the mind of a of a child and they're fantastic but um, uh, this kid had learned the three first questions of what I believe is called the Fisher's Catechism. And the, the first question is, who made you? The answer to that question is, God made me. Second question, what else did God make? Answer to that second question, God made everything. Question number three, why did God make you and everything else? Answer three, for his glory. And so this, this little boy, calling Billy, went to school. Kids are kind of messing around in, the, in the, uh, the classroom there, and the teacher sees a little Billy over at the window, and she walks over, and she says, Billy, what are, you, what are you doing? You just looking out the window? And he said, I'm just looking at the trees and the skies and thinking about how God made it all for his glory. 
And she's like, man, this kid is deep. I need to call his parents. And so she calls the parents, and the kid's reciting something that he's memorized, right? I told that story in the first service, and somebody walked up to me after the first service and said, you know, I memorized those catechisms when I was little, and the other day somebody was asking me if God has a body, and like that it triggered a memory of a catechism, and I was able to teach them that God is spirit, and those who worship him worship him in spirit and in truth. She's 50. She memorized that catechism when she was just starting to read. Right? And although our children may not feel the weight of God made them, God made everything, God did that for his glory, they, don't, they may not feel the weight of it at that moment. Imagine the weight of that lady who, who came to me after the service and says, man, I believe that. that. That's a truth that has sank deep within me. And I'm grateful for God that that's embedded in my mind, that's embedded in my heart. Which reminds me of Paul recounting Timothy's childhood. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says this, he says, For you, speaking to Timothy, he says, Continue in what you've learned and you firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have become acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the passage prior to what this familiar passage. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Timothy knew that the scripture was breathed out by God from an early age. He was taught that from his childhood, right? He knew the sacred writings from an early age. It's become familiar to him. Timothy knew that the scriptures were sufficient to reveal Christ, to soften his heart, and to save him. It was all instilled at Timothy at a young age. So we've seen family worship's biblical. We have models in the Old and the New Testament for it. For the rest of the service, I want to answer the question, how do we begin to do it? Like, Give us some handles on how can we begin to incorporate this into the life of our family so that Christ may be exalted and my family can be encouraged, equipped for every good work. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets. I don't know what that is, between your eyes. Just kidding. I had a guy after the service, first service, he came and it gave me the real technical answer for what frontlets are. I do know what they are, but so you don't need to explain it to me after the service. They um, shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And I said this earlier, but you have to be a worshiper of the one true God. You have to be a worshiper of the one true God. That's, that's the first part of, of Deuteronomy 6 here, verses 4 through 6. Right? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Command you that should be on your heart. God fulfills that promise by putting His word on our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? You can't lead your family in worship if you're not a worshiper yourself. Next, you must intentionally proclaim the glories of the word to your children daily. Right? That's where He's getting here. Teach it diligently to your children. These verses seven through nine. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, bind them. The sign on your hand, they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. Right? The language here is God's, God's saying, make my word obvious. 
That's what he's saying here. My word should be obvious to your family if you follow me. He he says when you're you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're lying, lying down. There's never a time where we're not doing one of those things. He's saying this should be consistent and this should be obvious to those within your home. In my home, we're, we have a, a Bible reading plan for, for our family worship. And on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, right now we're going through the epistles. And so we'll read the epistles and, and we'll ask questions about the text that, uh, so that we can apply that to our lives. And on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, we're doing an actual catechism. Um, where it's a question and it's an answer. And then we have a passage of Scripture that supports that answer. And we try to use that passage of Scripture as something we meditate on or something we seek to memorize or maybe we pray that passage of Scripture. But that, that's, that's one of the things that we're doing in our house so that we can make God's Word obvious. Our son to grow up knowing that th- this, is, this is a regular rhythm. This is a part of our lives. It helps us to anticipate our worship with you here on Sunday morning. Next, you should sing the Word of God daily. Ephesians 5, right? Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And that, that, that piece at the end of that, making melody to the Lord with your heart, man, that's not this wimpy, timid singing. That's, I'm belting it because my heart is overwhelmed by the glories of the gospel. We should be belting that stuff. And some of you are terrible singers, but belt it anyways. And certainly if this is, this is a rhythm that we have on Sunday mornings where we're singing the word, preaching the word, praying the word, and certainly the, the, we should be doing that on a regular basis within the context of our own home as well that helps us to anticipate us doing it together as the entire body of Christ. Braden and I, right now, we're singing, um, my wife and I, we're singing um, the doxology um, is, is what we, we're, we're doing. So we, and we sing it a cappella in our house. And so every morning we're doing the doxology. Some seasons we're doing a different song that we're kind of focusing on. But um, we're, we're, uh, we want our boy to grow up familiar with the doxology. And it's funny, sometimes I'll come home from work and I'll, I'll meet Braden at the house and she's tending to our boy and, and uh, she's singing the doxology. Doxology's been in my head all day and I'm like, man, we've kind of been thinking about similar things. We've had that song stuck in our heads all day and the song is truth because it's grounded in the word of God, which means our mind thoughts have been on the word of God more than if we would have just gone about our busy day without giving any consideration whatsoever to the God that we say we cherish. It's a sweet, intimate thing for us to enjoy. And finally, you should pray God's word daily. Jesus graciously gives us an example of that. Pastor Andrew, we have a prayer time with our whole staff every Tuesday at 9 o'clock, 9 from 9.30, and he always ends our prayer with the Lord's Prayer that we recite together, which is a blessing for me to be able to do that. But Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. He says, get over yourself, is what he's saying there. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debtors. Forgive us of our debts as we forget our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? Maybe begin praying the word of God by actually praying the, 
the Lord's Prayer here. Right? And if I had time, I would model how you can incorporate, like, the, and you can, you can use this as a model to, to pray for specific things going on in your life. And the beauty of praying God's Word back to God is you can always rest assured that your prayers are pleasing to God. Isn't that beautiful? Like, I don't have to wonder whether or not I'm praying about the right thing because God's given me 66 books with his, God, with his, his words, and I'm just going to repeat those back to him in a prayer, and I know that, that he's going to hear those prayers. Let me close with just a few practical recommendations for you. Don't overcomplicate it. Right? You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Don't, don't put that pressure on yourself. Remember this. Read the Word, sing the Word, pray the Word. On a daily basis. And that's relevant no matter where you are in life. Single, married with kids, married with no kids, widowed. It doesn't matter where you are in life. Read the word, sing the word, pray the word on a daily basis within the context of your home. It can be 15 minutes for the season that my wife and I are in with our boy. It, we get up real early in the morning and we, we do this. We can't go a, a lot past 20 minutes, right? 20 minutes and he's, he's super anxious and ready to to get moving but we set him in his high chair we keep throwing puffs at him and um it works whatever works and uh and we do it right there around the dining room table and if if the morning is really crazy and we're just not able to to come together we don't want to miss that opportunity and so what we do is come back at supper time and when we're finished eating supper that's the uh redneck word for dinner for those of you up here but the um we do supper at the dining room table, and we, uh, we eat. When we're finished eating, we do family worship then at the end of the day. And so we make sure that we have that rhythm in there because we want our boy to know this is, this is what we do as Christians. This is who we are. This is important. We, we, uh, we're not going to let anybody take this time from us, right? We don't want to bind to the lie that we tell ourselves. And the lie that we tell ourselves is, I'm too busy for that. I can't do that. I have too much on my plate. Get up earlier, right? Stay up later. Figure that time out. If you want to see your home transformed by the gospel, implement this. Right. If you want to see this church, Coast Community Church, transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, implement this. If you want to see our nation and our world transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it starts within the context of your home. We can't minister outside the home if we're not ministering inside the home. Luke 16.10 says this, One who's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And certainly family worship is no small thing. But imagine what the Lord would do through a family that took this seriously and modeled their lives after the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints and implemented family worship in their home. There's some resources for you at the bottom of the notes there. that can They're all very small. You could read them in an afternoon type resources that I'd encourage you. They can get you started on what family worship looks like on a daily basis. One of them... Uh, two of them are ones that we use um, every week, the New City Catechism devotional that's in there, and then we use the Family Worship Guidebook just to plug that. The Family Worship Guidebook gives you about three takeaway questions from every single chapter in the Bible. It's incredible. And so, again, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. Read a chapter in the Bible, read one of those application questions, work through it, and, and that's it. So it's, it's very simple. But let me do this. Let me pray with you. And um, after that, I'm going to invite the, uh, the music team up here to uh, allow us to go out singing. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel, Lord. Thank you for your word, God, and help us to grow in our 
um, just our reverence for you, Lord, to, to proclaim the glories of the gospel in our homes, God, and for Sunday morning to just be um, just a culmination of what's going on uh, in the context of our homes. And so, Lord, we um, um, are grateful that you would save us, Lord. And so, God, press this word upon our hearts so that we can be conformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name alone. Amen.